Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ruler Long Reads, the finest long-form cycling features and stories from Ruler magazine. Brought to you by Lacquer, bicycle insurance powered by the community. Lacquer's collective cover is made especially for cyclists for life on and off your bike. They've transformed traditional insurance to provide customers with a fairer, collective-driven approach to cycle insurance. Say goodbye to fixed upfront premiums. Instead, your monthly contributions are based on the collective's claims that month. Your maximum monthly price is capped, but the savings are all yours. And they have some big news. Lacquer will be running its first ever crowdfunding campaign and offering equity for the pack. Cyclists have helped Lacquer bring a much better model of insurance to the masses. That's why they want to invite you to join the ride. They're pleased to be able to give Ruler listeners the opportunity to own a part of Lacquer. You can invest in the future of Lacquer from as little as £10 and become a huge part of their collective. To register and to find out more about Lacquer's crowdfunding campaign, head to lacquer.co. This announcement is approved by Cedars. Your money is at risk when you invest. Orla Shenwi is joined by Lizzie Dignan of Trek Segafredo, Fran Miller, founding member of Team Sky and former CEO of Team Ineos, and Monica Santini of the Santini SMS clothing company. Top table from Ruler 101. Thank you, everyone, for joining us this evening. Um, as I explained, I kind of just wanted to explore a little bit about being a woman in cycling and what it means, if it means anything, whether our gender matters at all. I personally, for me, in my experience, feel it has done for different reasons, whether it be the fact that certainly when I started out as a journalist, I was still a rarity in the press pack, or whether it was because... I kind of like to dress as a woman and that's led to judgment as to my intellect or experience or why I'm in the sport. But I really want to hear from all of you and whether you think your gender has been a factor. Fran, we've discussed this before and I may have misremembered our conversation, but I feel like you had said to me that you didn't think gender was such a big deal. I don't think it's impacted my opportunities but I think it's impacted what I've been able to do in my career because it gives me a different point of view. Being a woman in a sport that is very male dominated and where, you know, the primary focus is on the men's side of the sport, wrongly, but there there it is. I can bring something different to the table that men don't tend to bring. So do you think what it's been maybe a bit of an advantage at times? Yeah, massive advantage at times. Yeah, massive advantage at times. I know it's a bit cliche to say that women have more emotional intelligence, more empathy, softer, 
but ultimately I think there is an element of truth in that particularly in a leadership and and you know management position that's something that I've really strived to maintain and build and grow particularly in a team environment that it should feel as close to a familial relationship as you can have with a in a professional environment and equally that people feel some sense of psychological safety and I think you know in as a female in a, in a male world I'm able to bring that simply because the perception is I am a woman and I'm softer and etc and whether that's the truth for all women is to be debated but for me it certainly has had a big impact it's almost like you're there as a representation of something whether that's what you bring or not but even being that representation is, is maybe a positive energy within a team yeah exactly yeah I think so that's definitely my perception Lizzie but, what about you obviously you're surrounded by women in women's teams but you're still in a sport where men mostly run the teams men are the mechanics they're behind the scenes still mostly in the press pack what has your gender meant to you in your career I think it's definitely changed over the years I think it's it's been very different in from starting out as a junior definitely experienced massive inequalities I think at that level at GB level it's about Olympic medals and I was you know as a track rider and we're we're all going for the same thing. And I think I had the equal ability to achieve as my counterpart male did as a junior. And it was very different back then. The support was not equal at all. I think there's been a massive shift and I think it is now. I don't think it in any way would hold a junior female back in the UK, which is brilliant. And then, yeah, there's been <laughs> so many different experiences where, yeah, I'm, I, I, I definitely feel my my gender in is being important in my career yeah it's had a huge impact it's hard to quantify like we are I am racing in a male dominated sport and so often I have to put myself into a political position I, most male athletes do have to have a political standpoint on something that's part of being a professional athlete these days but I've almost had to become a political advocate for my sex rather than just be able to be a cyclist which you kind of have to grow into that role and I don't think potentially my male counterpart has had to has had those same pressures. I've said that to you before I remember once we were sitting in Harrogate doing an interview I think it was I remember saying that I felt like you almost didn't have a choice in your career as to whether you were going to be a spokesperson for certain issues do you feel like if you had been a guy you could have just gotten on with riding your bike and maybe preferred that or are you quite happy that you find this position in a way? I'm happy with it, yeah, because somebody has to, right? But I also think that male cyclists have to uh, commentate on political issues. It, they're often asked about doping, for instance. I'm only asked about equality, which is probably an easier subject. <laughs> so, you know, um, I think as the better you get as an athlete, that kind of responsibility for becoming a spokesperson happens. But I think it's it's clear that there is an inequality in our sport otherwise I wouldn't be asked constantly about it you know and what about you Monica your father founded your business the Santini business so in a way you were always following in the footsteps of a man coming into it but at the same time it's a, it's a female dominated company certainly at the top structure you and and your sister uh, run it essentially well, you know, listening to what the other girls were saying, I felt like uh, I wasn't just, uh, you know, uh, a female in a male-dominated uh, sport or, or industry. 
I also was uh, this the daughter of a man that did something. So I added to that the fact that, you know, I had to prove, 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 prove all the time something. So not only that you're female and capable, but also that you are the daughter or somebody and you're capable. I honestly have to say that like Fran, I never felt that my gender was uh, an obstacle, but for sure, I have to say that it was so, such a hard work all the time. Nothing came uh, easily. Everything came uh, for hard work uh, to, you know, you had to be prepared all the time, uh, uh, spent hours and hours more than any other man probably had to yeah. do. Because if you get caught uh, unprepared once, uh, then it's the end of it. So then uh, you are, you know, the only, only that female that is not capable of. So now after, well, it's a long time, how many years that I've been, uh, uh, you know, working and running a company, we probably have now a company that is the total opposite. So as you, as you mentioned, it's uh, owned by women and run by women most of the time. Our, we have probably 90% of female personnel inside, yes. The fact that we are so many women inside a company uh, makes it different in many ways, uh, not better or worse, different for sure. I can say that uh, it's uh, an environment that is very, uh, very positive, very energetic. We try to understand the needs of each other because we are all female. A lot of us are mothers. A lot of us uh, you know, are caring for somebody. So what I try to, to do in, in the work environment is to uh, be flexible, to understand the needs of the other women working with me. And I see that that gives us a super advantage because uh, the more you're flexible and the more that these fantastic women gives back. I'm curious what you say about having to prove yourself over and over again. And it's something that I feel even now yeah, in my same. career that no one ever, ever comes to me assuming an experience and an expertise. A guy will always explain to me what's happening or what races he's been to or always assume that I'm there for another reason other than what I'm actually good at. But... I'm always grateful for it when I when I grip my teeth and get on with it and I'm annoyed to begin with, but I just think, fine, fine, here we go again, here we go again. I'm going to raise my game. I'm going to raise the bar yet again. And Fran, you were nodding your head there when Monica was, was talking. I was David Miller's little sister for <laughs> 85% of my career, which came with all of the you know, benefits of that. And then an awful lot of drawbacks of that as well. You know, you say the doping question is, you know, we all know David's background. So I can definitely relate to having to prove yourself. And I also think it's just a natural, women much more naturally feel they have to be subject matter specialists, feel they have to be experts, feel they have to be deep in their lane. Actually, Christina from uh, Brompton recommended, the marketing director at Brompton recommended a book to me called How Women Rise. And it was a, it was a management book that was written by um, a, a guys about leadership. And they, they wrote it, it was hugely successful. But then loads of women wrote to them and said, we're not facing the same problems. And so they then wrote the book from a female point of view, having speak, spoken to loads of female leaders. And what a, what a huge amount of the female leaders said was, unlike men, where they're happy to be generalists, they're happy to not be perfection, like to have perfection. Women 
hold themselves back because they feel they have to be excellent. They have to be subject matter specialist. They have to be perfect. They have to be able to answer every question. And actually no man does that. It's a very female trait. It makes us excellent, those of us who are willing to do it, but it also holds us back because no one expects that, right? Except ourselves. Why do we do it then? Is it that we put the pressure on ourselves or is it we know, Monica kind of alluded to it there, is it we know we'll be shot down if there is the slightest error because it will be a case of, well, I knew she was only there because of that. It feels a little bit sometimes that uh, they are like looking at you from the outside, waiting for you to make that mistake and then say, you know, we were expecting that. And so that's probably why uh, you normally women in, in, in strong positions uh, have that pressure internally to always be ready, prepared and, uh, you know, to be, to know a lot of the things that you're talking about. Uh, well, as Fran was saying, most of the time men just talk about things without really knowing <laughs> yeah. it about anything. Without being right, so, necessarily. Exactly. <laughs> so, but because nobody expects them to, you know, to, to say the right thing all the time. I felt that most of my life, even when I was in school, I felt that I had to, you know, study everything until the last word. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I wouldn't be ready for the interrogation or for, you know, these kind of things. As you were saying, Ola, it, it helps a lot, I think, to fuel you, to give you that energy that, you know, once they told me that I have a super strong engine, they told me that. I was like, whoop, okay, I, I like that. Uh, so you've got an engine. Oh my God, you never tired. How do you, you feel like? And I think that's part of, uh, you know, being a mother, being running a company and, uh, you know, but at the same time, trying to be a nice wife and, uh, you know, having some friends, doing sports. And, you know, if you calculate everything in the end, you're like, oh my God. <laughs> It feels always that uh, you cannot leave out any part of that of your life because you will be missing something. Yeah, you need a strong engine all the time. And uh, like, I don't know, you're one of those big trucks. (laughs) I'd be fascinated to know, Monica, now that you run a business that's led by women, predominantly populated by women, whether the younger women in your organization feel those same pressures, Mm. because it definitely is a male thing. Like as a woman in a male-dominated industry, you do feel that, you know, that I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to, I will be a subject matter specialist. I will be, I'm not going to give you room to criticize. Whereas I I don't think I'd feel that if I was in a female dominated environment, because I think there is more uh, room for people to make mistakes, recognize that in, in error comes growth and all those kinds of things. Oh, it'd be really interesting to know if you feel the younger team the younger female team in your organization maybe are having a different experience because you know monica you and i aren't far apart in age and so the the experience you and i had is probably quite similar and whether or not you know the 20 year olds coming through industry now are feeling the same pressures oh i would like to ask that question to the many many young girls that are working with me but i hope that what they they feel working with me or working within my organization is that they can actually express themselves uh, freely. That's already something because expressing yourself means that also you're putting yourself out. You can say something wrong. You can say something stupid sometimes. I hope that they feel that uh, what I expect from them is that they learn. What they say in organization, at least it's an Italian saying, is that the, you know, the, uh, the army has the pace of the general. 
probably if they look at me the way I do things, they will probably feel, uh, uh, you know, compelled to, you know, be ready or prepared in any case. But <laughs> I hope it is in a good way, in a, in a way that they feel comfortable with. So uh, I honestly always tell them that uh, there are no stupid questions. There are only questions. And what I expect them for, from them is that they don't come with a problem, but with already a solution. And I might, it might be a wrong solution, but they have at least thought about it, uh, even no matter what the level it is. So we, we work a lot on this kind of environment internally on uh, you know having a lot of uh, groups, uh, uh, mixed groups, uh, because I like to you know have people from different areas to mix up because I hate that we and them. I'm pretty sure it is a positive environment because listening to you, I want to come and work for you. Yeah, please <laughs> <laughs> can, you, can, you it, can you connect on LinkedIn? I'm going to look out for a job. <laughs> Lizzie, you've worked a lot with Monica, actually, haven't you? Because you've designed collections with her. Do you find yeah. a difference working with females in positions of power compared to men in positions of power? And, and I guess a lot of the men that you work with are steeped in the tradition of cycling which is a very male I mean it's a very specific brand of male um, attitude I find. Definitely when I was pregnant there was a huge difference in when I told people that I was pregnant and the nicest reaction that I got was from Santini they said said, yeah they said congratulations and it was the first time anybody had said congratulations and it almost you don't want to know I do (laughs) uh, it wasn't good and um, it made me very emotional to have that kind of support and just for people to just be happy for me you know I'd got to a position where I almost felt like I needed to apologize it was really refreshing to be congratulated and be like okay that's exciting what we're gonna do for the this next nine months you know and maybe that is just about having a bit more of an open mind and flexible attitude like Monica was saying that they have you know and maybe that does come from being working around females I don't know wow we should dwell on that because that is totally I'm an absolute shock I think it depends a lot on the fact that, you know, if you were pregnant and you know that what it feels like, the first thing that comes to your mind is, uh, you know, congratulate. I mean, it's a, a beautiful thing. It's it's something that is magical. And so it, both me and Paula, my sister, we, we already had kids. And, and when Lizzie said so, it was, I think that Lizzie had a, an incredible courage to do that and to, you know, to... In a top of uh, a, a, a top of, uh, of the moment of her career to have a kid and then coming back. I remember that we talked about a lot with Lizzie on the fact that she wanted to be back and she wanted to be strong again. And, uh, you know, and I, and I think that that, uh, that decision took a lot of courage. So, um, and it was a natural thing for us to back her up uh, because I mean if, yeah. if, if women don't do that who, who can I, I'm reminding myself now when you announced that you were pregnant and, and it was a big deal in the sport but at the same time I, I guess I just assumed that that the people you work with the people you're surrounded by the partnerships that you have would be incredibly supportive of something that's much bigger than your career that's much bigger than your sport you know and if you decided to take that not in cycling no I'd love to think so but no I I don't think I mean I had a conversation with the girls on the team 
about pregnancy and um so from my perspective it was completely my deci- my unfil <laughs> our decision <laughs> he to got start a family <laughs> but you know there was there was no consideration to me of the fact that, okay I am part of a team but I am also a human and I am allowed to make these personal decisions and even still having conversations with some of the women on my team they see it as a betrayal of your contract because you knowingly get pregnant whilst you have a contract and I was kind of saying to them I think you're naive and you have to realize that actually this is business and your employer will not give you the same sort of loyalty back you know it, it, you have to make oh deci- I totally understand that a team is important but you have to be able to be a human too and make human decisions and I don't think a man in my sport would think he's betraying his team by starting a family um, <laughs> and that was definitely the uh, reaction I had from a lot of people and I found it incredible how many people thought it was okay to ask me if it was if all was planned many many journalists asked me (laughs) it's like you know just yeah plenty of journalists asked me in a roundabout way you know and you sort of think oh yeah none of your business but this is like a real when I was younger I would probably have sat in that camp of like oh you've got to I don't know I was was kind of almost anti-pregnancy because like I haven't had kids I I never wanted them which I think you know was lucky for me in the sense I never had that uh, challenge of do I choose one or other whatever but I've become so as I've got older as I've become more in tune with kind of how feminism should be working and how the world should be working your point there Lizzie about no male cyclist has ever been questioned about his wife's decision you know like his his wife's got pregnant it's like oh hang on how's that going to affect your contract yeah and yeah yeah and until we as women both in positions of leadership but in the world except that the fact that we are the ones that carry babies shouldn't be something that we're penalized for mm-hmm. and that that becomes normalized through every walk of life we are never going to reach equality ever a big part of that is not just that we are the ones who carry children because even if you don't have kids fran as you know women of a certain age can still be discriminated against when it comes to employment because the assumption is that you will go and have a family but for me, I think yeah. a massive thing is until until society realizes that women can have children and a career and that the father can look after the children just as well, that for me is when equality comes. Because I remember whenever I was pregnant with my first, similarly, a guy in the newsroom, he had maybe two or three kids of his own, said his reaction to me was, um, oh, I'm really surprised. I thought you were I thought you were a career woman. And, and I was like, mm-hmm. I am, I am, but I don't support that kind of family. And and I had a lot of people in the newsroom also asking me whether it was planned or not, as if you were going to say, no, I don't want the child in my, <laughs> my belly right now, you know. But but also yeah. then, whenever I went to my first bike race after having Eve, my daughter, she was four months old, and I went to Pyra Bay. All the male journalists asked me if I was suffering and and if I really missed my daughter. In truth, I was delighted to have me back again and to be doing something that was not getting up at 4am and feeding and listening to crying and changing nappies much as I obviously love my daughter more than my own life it was that assumption that it was going to be hard for me when no one would ask a father so you have to then carry that guilt even if you don't feel it because you're feeling guilty about not feeling guilty absolutely through all that I felt the same many times 
I have two kids and I worked uh, all through the pregnancy and four days after giving birth, I was back working. And I had to, of course, rely a lot on my mom and, uh, and the father. Luckily, I, for me, I mean, they were absolutely fantastic. So, but I remember that uh, after giving birth to, to Lodovica, my, my first, 20 days later, I was in Los, in Las Vegas for the Vegas show. And I remember that everybody was like, are you crazy? Are you leaving your daughter? <laughs> <laughs> days old and I'm like oh. and I like, felt exactly like you oh, yes, yes, oh, yeah so and I love my kids of course I I adore them but uh, I think that there is more to I mean if if uh, my my work in life were in the way it is I think I would be absolutely adorable mother I mean you know having something to look at every single minute of what they do while I think that they they are kind of growing up very independent and you know the, I like the idea that they rely on themselves a lot. So uh yeah, I, I understand exactly what you're saying, Ola, when you see you felt like, ah, don't you feel bad? No, actually I am fantastic today. I am <laughs> going back on a plane. I am alone. <laughs> so I can take care of myself. So, so here's a question then. Does having little people in your life? change how you view women's role in society and where we are with equality and Fran I know you've got like a hundred godchildren and that you're really close to them not through the my godchildren of which there are hundreds of the little buggers it's <laughs> um, the problem with being single having no kids of my own and disposable income everyone's like <laughs> <"Stop>, mother." <laughs> yeah no I am um, mine has come much more from being in a, in a lead an, an ever-growing leadership position and seeing the total and utter discrimination for talented young women in industry who the minute they get married and make the decision that they want to start a family, they pay all the price. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and it mm -hmm. just quite frankly fucked me off. So I got mm -hmm. to the point where I was like, hang on a minute, this is bullshit. It's back to this conversation that, you know, it's the, it's the talented young woman who comes to me and says, nervously, I'm, you know, I'm pregnant and I want to let you know. And I've got to work through all of this. I'm thinking, I know that your partner isn't going to his boss and telling and having an uncomfortable conversation with his boss and feeling nervous about speaking to his boss. But you're having to come and have this conversation with me and you shouldn't feel nervous and you shouldn't feel worried about it. And you shouldn't feel, and don't get me wrong, this has been a journey for me. Like I was, I was militant when I was younger, but as I've got older, and like I say, as I've explored my own beliefs around feminism and, and around kind of the world, I'm like, no, that's that's bullshit. This should be completely fair and young, talented women should be able to start families whenever they want in their lives, make their own career choices and not have that have a fam making a like creating a family be a fundamental career limiter. That's not fair because we all it's just not fair. And we all, you know, rely on people having families for the sort of continuation of humankind. You know what I mean? It's like it's just yeah, it's just fundamentally unfair. Lizzie, what about you? Having had Orla, has it changed anything for you? Oh, so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah, I will I will be her biggest fan. I will be her biggest supporter. And I will never let her sex hold her back in anything. I was lucky growing up in a household where like my granddad was a stay-at-home dad. And you know, I all the women in, worked in our family. It, I was in a very equal family. I never felt my sex growing up. You know, me and my brother played the same sports, etc. So 
I think leading by example is what we will aim to do. She will grow up in a much more equal place than we did, I hope. What about you, Monica? I am lucky and I have a girl and a boy. So I have two different views of the world. Uh, So I think that uh, my point of view is, uh, well, I was very lucky myself, like Lizzie's, because I I grew up in a family where my mom always worked and it was, you know, kind of normal. But she was the only of her uh, other sisters working. So at the other side of the family, it was, uh, you know, more traditional Italian, uh, you know, you are a woman, you stay home. Uh, and my dad, he actually was served with two girls and a company to run. So he didn't really have the choice uh, to leave it to a boy. <laughs> uh, so I think that he was very, very good in accepting that. Uh, and uh, so we, we both grew up with uh, with that feeling that we could do anything. That we, we never, I, I don't think I've ever felt like I'm not capable or able to do something just because I'm a girl. So that's that's the part of the education that I would like to, you know, pass over to my my daughter. I always tell her to be independent, to earn her own money, and then she could do whatever she wants with boys or girls or whatever, I don't care, but she needs to be independent uh, money-wise because that's what tell what, what gives you the power to make your own decisions. And on the other side, I hope that I'll be able to teach my son equality means that it doesn't need to be an ass with girls. And, uh, you know, even when growing up or being in a position in, in job, he needs to, you know, look at things also from the female perspective. I think maybe some of the things in cycling specifically, though, it's not just like inequality driven. It's traditional Mm-hmm. kind of small-minded cycling that holds us back it's not always just about our gender um it's just got such a long way to go before it's forward thinking and open-minded and stuck in tradition rather than necessarily being innovative as a sport yeah absolutely yeah 100 percent archaic and yet fran you were you were part of changing that game yeah for sure i mean i think what what we did as a as a team of people management people within team sky and then you know lastly team ineos yeah for sure there was a you know a lot of change and and sort of pushing the boundaries and everything else but you know i i certainly feel a quite a strong sense of personal responsibility that, that we weren't ever able to really shift the dial on some of the stuff i would have liked to have shifted the, the dial on you know, I mean, in the same way as I remember having a conversation with Monica in like 2011 and about rainbow bands and not understanding the licensing laws of the UCI. Lizzie, we had that meeting in Selfridges, do you remember in the basement back in 2012, maybe? Might have been earlier, it might have been before London, about a women's team. Trisha Thompson from Sky. And it was like, you know, we were both pushing and we were raising it at every board meeting. And it was like, you know, we've just won a, and actually, I, you know, my, my view of that has changed, but there was a window of opportunity at the early outset of that kind of post-Beijing era where we could have done something to really shift the dial. Um, and, you know, and it, and it was a decision that was made at, at Sky board level. So, I, you know, I don't even put Brailsford, Dave, I don't think Dave, this was a Dave decision to be fair to him, not taking, not seizing that opportunity to do a men's and women's team back then, like 12 years ago, with hindsight and hindsight's 2020, right? That was an oversight. 
I think we could have done more. So what were the obstacles? What were you told? You say it was at the Skyboard level. What were you told were the reasons for not doing a women's team? Because especially well, with the branding and, and the marketing of Sky, it would have made such amazing sense. Yeah, I think it was, you know, they were sponsoring the GB team at the time. So they they were sort of like the, the sort of female connection through the Great Britain cycling team. They were getting access to Lizzie and to, and to even Nicole at the time, because it was 2008 when they started their relationship. I think they felt that, you know, there wasn't enough commercial viability in the same way that, you know, because Tour de France was so massively, as it still is, so massively outweighed the commercial value and return on investment. And I think they felt they could get their return on investment from the sponsorship through their relationship with Great Brit- with the Great Britain team and the female athletes and the female talent within that. They did the Sky Plus HD. They worked with Sinead Reid. You know, so they did, they did feel strongly that that was the right direction. And the inspiration to participation piece, they said, that, you know, a lot of the research that they did at the time was that women then weren't saying that women being successful at sport that was making them participate it was the country being successful at sports that was making them participate. Bradley Wiggins winning the tour made women get out and ride just as much as it made men get out and ride. You know, they were all valid justifications. And like I say, this is a personal opinion. I would never want to criticize Sky or Brailsford or anything else because I think what we did do was phenomenal. But I have always felt a bit of a burden of responsibility that actually we probably had a window of opportunity there where we could have done more. Um, And had we had a bit more... I mean, Trisha and I couldn't have been more vocal. <laughs> the two of you would be just <laughs> ignore. Yeah, that, you know, I mean, we made our point. But yeah, I think we probably we probably couldn't and probably should because I think there was a generation of young women that maybe missed out, well, that did miss out, not maybe missed out, that missed out. And I think, you know, Lizzie's had to blaze her own trail. I think there's been a whole host of other, gen, you know, generation of young women who've had to go out there and blaze their own trail, which is fantastic. And they've all done an amazing job of it. But yeah, it would have been cool. It would have been so cool to have done a women's team as well. Back then, I, I think it's very different now. And I think mm-hmm. the burden of responsibility now lies with the UCI. I think the UCI have to make the change at the top to, to sort of try and ensure that there's parity across World Tour licenses and, and events and all that kind of thing. Can I just say, though, I love that that meeting happened in the basement of Selfridges. Sorry, it's just too perfect. <laughs> I don't even know why it was in the basement of Selfridges. I remember. <laughs> Lizzie, I mean, that I imagine, and maybe I'm completely wrong, but I imagine that kind of conversation just comes up over and over again, whereby, you know, I just, I, I get so fed up of, of reading and reacting to people saying women, female cyclists just don't bring in the same return on investment, you know, that it's simply a financial thing. And, and once we get more people watching women cycling, then then things will change. And it's just, it's such, such a frustrating argument. Yeah, it's a, and it's wrong, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> the, the figures show that when women cycling that's on TV, then they get just as much, if not more viewers. So uh, the appetite is definitely there. It's just been about being able to, yeah, give the viewers the access to us which we just can't do right now and yet to be positive things have changed so much in women's cycling in the last like four or five years it is phenomenal it's been an incredible 10 years for women's cycling i think it's it's really important that the changes that are made are sustainable so sometimes it can be frustrating when you're interviewed and usually it's at the Tour de France, it's at La Course, <laughs> where the big headlines are made. And it's really frustrating because it's like women's cycling has been going on all year. And then you come to the Tour de France and you say, 
why isn't there a women's tour de france well, is there a france and nobody's talking about the amazing la course that we've just seen yeah exactly and it's really frustrating because right now until until for things like minimum wage which has now come in you know and has had a huge impact in just two years you see the depth in the sport has changed massively women are doing a second job so that means that they are able to compete at a decent level and that the performances is are crazy now like we are capable of doing a three-week tour de france but only just you know only just have we got enough women who are earning a decent amount of money to train properly in order to do a tour de france so it's hard in my position to say at la course no we're not ready for a women's tour de france because straight away they'll jump on it and say see see they're not ready and you yeah, have yeah, to yeah. leave them to it yeah, you almost have to buy into these exaggerated headlines because in my position, I have no choice because I believe in equality and I believe there should be a women's sort of France, but there's so many levels of sustainable change underneath it. But, you know, you can't get that across in, in an interview when you've just finished a 140 kilometre bike race, but you're expected to, and that's that's difficult. I think that in, in cycling, for sure, what Lizzie was saying uh, is true. I mean, you need to uh, to grow the, the, the female side of the sport uh, to be able to compete uh, at certain level. On the other hand, I don't see that happening if you don't have uh, big events and probably televised big events, because, of course, we all know money comes from uh, you know, being broadcasted and, uh, you know, being on television. And if you're not on television, you don't get sponsors. And if you don't get sponsors, you're not going to get money and the athletes cannot get money. So I think it, it's a complicated thing. And uh, sometimes you probably need to, you know, just jump in, even if you're not so ready, as Lizzie was absolutely saying. And, uh, you know, stays the chance uh, so that that chance will uh, improve again in the next year and then, then again and then again. I think that the, in the last 10 years, the changes that I've seen in female cycling is, have been amazing, amazing. I remember that uh, we started uh, to have a women collection 20 years ago and we were probably selling like 10 pieces. And mm -hmm. at the beginning, the women even said to us that they prefer to buy the men's pieces because they were better. And we were like, what? I mean, we spend money and ideas on that. And then, and, and now it's totally the opposite. I mean, everybody is looking for something that is specifically done for, for, you know, the female body. So once again, I think that you sometimes need to you jump in, even if it's not so economically convenient, but if you want to prove your point, I mean, it's something that starts, uh, uh, you know, that wheel and, and then it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, I think that each one of us, uh, I mean, girls uh, have got some, some responsibility uh, to make the world a better place for the next uh, generation of women. And so we, we will probably need to do a little bit of us, a, a, a small part of it. It's not anything huge, but you know, piece by piece, I think that we will get there. So the first thing is, uh, you know, don't take shit from men, absolutely. Yes. I, I was going to ask everybody at the end what their message was to any young girls that said, don't take shit from men. You say from anyone or from men? From men. From men. <laughs> Fran, what about you? What does equality look like or how do we get there? You know, there's that old expression of leave the ladder down. You know, I think I think as women in leadership positions in any industry and in any walk of life, you have a responsibility to 
to make sure that you are fostering an environment that's fair, that's equal, where there is parity, you know, where there isn't a pay gap, you know, where people have the same opportunities, where, like I said, the, you know, the conversations about starting families are had by, with the mum and the dad, not just the mum. Um, and so, you know, I think there's a whole host of kind of, you know, what I would see as sort of systemic things that need to happen. And I think, you know, in, this, in a similar way to years ago when they put the board quotas in for FTSE, FTSE 100 businesses and it was like, you know, you have to have X percentage of women on your boards. And everyone was like, it's a meritocracy. If they were any good, they'd get on the board. And it's like, you absolute fucking morons. Like, <laughs> honestly telling me that the reason that all the male, like all the boards are male is because there aren't enough good women in the same way that Monica's saying, like, actually, sometimes you got to jump in before you're ready. I also think sometimes quotas, things that what necessary evils, are, you know, are, are quite important. And I think, you know, I've I've sort of said for a long time, and I, I don't actually know enough about the infrastructure of women's cycling. So to specifically talk about cycling, but like, if they're serious about it, then make it prerequisites of licenses for teams, make it prerequisites of event organizers that they have to have a certain you know level of female race make it you know that I, I only saw this on Twitter but the kind of there was something about the uh, Giro race where they they had it in their contract it was meant to be televised and it wasn't like yeah, how is that zero. even how is that even possible like how does that now they're not women's world tour next year so they've that, that sort of stuff that you're like hang on who yeah. who stops and says hang on a minute whoa there's a contract mm -hmm. you, can we make that happen please and I think it's it's that sort of stuff where it's a bit like everyone kind of goes, oh, well, and it's like, that's not good enough, you know? So, yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. We gave it our best shot. And it's like, well, that's the best shot's not good enough, UCI or whoever else is in for RCS or ASO or, you know, all of you men running the sport, it's, it's not good enough. And I think that that kind of groundswell within cycling is is really important. And I think it, again, to Lizzie's point, if it's an archaic sport and, you know, there's a reason that I'm not in it anymore. Um, and that's not to do with my team it's not to do with my I love that environment and I lo and I loved it but the sport I was tired of the sport I was bored of the sport you know I love watching it now but yeah it's there comes a point where you think well where do I go from here there's a whole host of things that need to happen both globally and systemically around women's equality and then there's a whole piece around cycling that's like that's I mean yeah good luck Lizzie. Lizzie what about you then equality what does it look like in your in your corner? I think it's societal mainly it comes it's a reflection of the society when I go to the park with all her she she's climbing and jumping and all the rest and I can count so many times when people have said to me oh she's such a boy isn't she and I'm like well no you know like she's not she's just all her she just even at that age I think you you see stereotypes being put onto your children at such a young age and um yeah it's about always kind of fighting back and also reflecting sometimes I think it's I even I miss kind of casual sexism happening in my everyday life and I think you know things like at La Corse I won a watch which you know lovely but it's a man's watch and I didn't what? even realize you yeah. won a man's watch yeah I thought oh this is all right I'll give it to Phil and Phil was like you won a man's watch at a woman's bike race I was like, yeah, that's bad, isn't it? You know, but, but that shows that yeah. still casual sexism happens all the time. And, you, and still might say that you didn't even remark no, on it. I mean, I had just done a bike race, so I was a bit tired. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's about kind of questioning sometimes, am I in this position because I'm a woman or not? And 
you know, challenging it. And, and, and sometimes I think it is easy as a woman. Uh, I realize from some of the conversations I've had with my teammates about maternity leave and maternity clauses, etc. Um, you have to you have to push the women around you, I think, to fight for more equality and to understand sexism that is happening to them. And they, they maybe don't even realize it. And I think, yeah, it's about building up other women around you, I think. 100 percent. I 100% agree with that. I did want to finish with what message you would give to any young girls who might be reading this. You know, someone might pick up the magazine and show it to their young daughter or niece or whatever. What message would you give? I like yours, Monica, don't take shit from any men. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say, go back to, go back to Lizzie's point, um, because I, I feel exactly the same when I'm really grateful I had a girl first, because for, I don't know why, I just feel because she's the oldest and because... She has to go through, go through things in life first. It means that she has to be a little bit tougher. And I'm, I also have more time to think about my parenting the first child compared to the second. And so I'm always trying to challenge her and, you know, making her climb trees or making her do physical things that that I would allow a boy to do. Um, so I would say my, my message to little girls would be climb trees. Dare to climb trees. Never dim your personality to make other people feel more comfortable. Because I think that's I think that's what you see. You're not your personality, your strength or your determination. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not about making other people feel comfortable. Um, I think a bit of Lizzie's, I totally agree with that. I think that kind of fitting in thing is so dangerous for young women where it's like, I'll play a certain act or play small, because if I play small, I won't get noticed and I can just carry on. I think that's so dangerous. But I also think like not never let other people set your limits for you. You know what I mean? Like never let other people say, well, you can't, you can only get to this level or you can only do this or you can only do that. It's like, you can do whatever you want in life. Like we all can, we all have the freedom to make any choices, any decisions, anytime we want to. And anyone who tells you any different is trying to stop you for a reason. And that's normally because you're going to be better at it than them. So that kind of don't allow people to hold you back or hold you down or set the framework for you, set your own framework. Yeah. Monica, do you have anything to add to your wonderful motto? (laughs) No, I just, uh, I, I just feel like adding the fact that I sometimes I see a lot of women that are not really fighting to what they can be. I mean, it, it pisses me off. But at the same time, sometimes I feel I think, you know, you need, I mean, you need to work so much, you need to, you know, and sometimes I understand that women are, are like, oh, what the fuck? I mean, okay, Fire. I give up, you know. <laughs> Because it takes so much energy all the time, so much energy to be on top of everything. And, uh, you know, I, I personally think that I couldn't do any different because that's my personality. But it's, I mean, it's not the same for everybody. So I understand that, you know, you're breaking that fucking, well, you say glass uh, ceiling. Mm-hmm. As, you know, it takes energy it takes energy so probably yeah you need to never give up but i understand when they do honestly i feel like you should write a book monica i'm like i'm <laughs> i'm so into the monica what was the beauty shoot? i think it's amazing i want to see your thoughts come on monica <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much you know just listening to you all as well i feel like so often we are told it's a man's world and so we have to fit into that and we fit into those parameters and I often wonder what things would be like if we just ignored that, if we just actually talk to each other more 
and accepted our reality as being reality as much as the men's version. So, so it's been it's been wonderful talking to you all. I've loved it. I've really loved it. I've been looking forward to this so much, and I'm really good. I'm really glad it was as much fun as I wanted it to be. You've been listening to Orla Shenwe, Lizzie Dignan, Fran Miller, and Monica Santini from Top Table from Ruler Issue One Hundred One. Now then. Here's an infomercial message for the discerning folk of Rulerland. For the finest long-form cycling journalism and exquisite photography and design, why don't you simply subscribe to Ruler magazine? It costs as little as £7 per month. Regular columnists include Orla Shenwi, Roma Badet and me, Ned Bolting, accompanied by features from the best writers and photographers in the business. Simply go to ruler.cc. You know it makes sense. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.